What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 308, and it's another special episode, a little one-off, a little something that we call watch Them all where we kind of go through all the entries in a, a, a given film series, and we kind of have been peppering these along our timeline here, our, our podcast feed, uh, most recently with the films from the A Nightmare on Elm Street film franchise. Uh and as we'll find out in today's episode, not all of them even have a Nightmare on Elm Street in the title. Right, uh, at all. But if you haven't checked out the past episodes, we did, go, we did go through one, two, three, and four. So this episode, we're going to be picking up with a Nightmare on Elm Street 5, Freddy's... Wait, which is 5? Dream Child? Nightmare on Elm Street 5, <laughs> The Dream Child. The Dream Child. And then Freddy's Dead... The final nightmare. The final nightmare. There we go. Thank you. Number six. So it's that uh, thing that they do occasionally where they, they title something. I feel like there's a couple of uh, Friday the 13th movies that don't say. Right. Isn't, there, right. isn't one of them something the final Friday? Is that Jason Goes to Hell the final Friday? Jason Goes to Hell. Yep. The final, the final Friday. Friday. Like I, there may have even yeah. been a rights issue or something at that point between the companies that, you know, there are different companies that release those movies from time to time, but yeah, they get around it by changing the title up a little bit, but yeah. So today, you know, I, I don't think anybody will uh, spoil anything, but we have some interesting conversation ahead of us today through uh, some of the more interesting entries in this film franchise. Yes, we, uh, we were we were supposing that these might be the most fun to talk about because they're the like this. It's weird. There's the ones we have after this are all interesting in their own way, even if they're interesting failures in some way. Exactly. Um, exactly. Th- these two are sort of like emblematic of that. What people think of when they think of a part five and a part six in a slasher film series, which is like, you know. Uh, scrambling to create new mythology and and kind of rehashing things and sort of uh, like the bloom is off the rose uh. <laughs> right 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 yeah. and yeah you kind of like you can yeah we'll get into each one yeah. but in general this pair uh you know is kind of towards the tail end of the 80s early 90s it's kind of when the yeah. franchise kind of feels like it's running out of gas uh maybe running on fumes a little bit um before it kind of gets into this, these you know, the next series, like John was just saying, uh, where they kind of got a little more interesting, if not different in some way. Um, mm. But yeah, so we'll get into that in a moment. I think that really quickly at the top of the episode, even though it's like a special watch them all episode for Nightmare on Elm Street, this week before we recorded the podcast, a new trailer came out for a movie that we've talked about a few times on the podcast. And it's one of the movies that I think through the whole COVID era, the pandemic era, a movie going, movie releasing um has been one that's kind of been moved around a lot and one that they seem to really have tried to hold on to um for a theatrical release a theatrical only release um at least in its initial run and that's the newest entry um in the ghostbusters franchise so ghostbusters uh coming out in november this one directed by jason reitman um i guess ronald you i think you sent the trailer around to us all so the other day so why don't you kind of jump off and talk a little bit about what you thought of the trailer or the movie in general, kind of its place in this whole, I think one some of the interesting things that we can kind of not get too deep in, but like this movie, I feel like we talked about black widow being pushed around a lot during the COVID era. Like yeah. this movie for that studio seems to be one that they are just hanging on to dearly to yes. release in theaters. And this is their trailer. That is like a new fresh trailer 
you know, what, what did you think of it? And, you know, what's your, what's your feeling about the whole situation there? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is one of those films that, you know, Ghostbusters one and two, I'd say one and two are two of the most popular comedy, scary movies. I don't even, you know, it's kind of a fusion of these two because honestly, they did have elements that were pretty spooky um, when I was. I'd say, hor- I'd say horror comedy is fair. Okay, I mean, like horror, horror comedy. comedy. Okay, yeah. I mean it has maybe um, sci-fi or fantasy, dark fantasy kind of mixed yeah. in, but it fits under the the a lot of the stuff when you really look at it nowadays. It feels like it's pulled from, you know, like almost like that Lovecraftian side of horror, and you know that like yeah. Dan Aykroyd who who hatched the idea. He he knows his stuff when it comes to like. You know, sci-fi fantasy stuff like that. He's a fan of that kind of stuff, and he even kind of believes right. in some of it. So, yeah. so I think that like you can kind of see the origins of it. So I do think they played the horror straight, even though it's unquestionably the first one is unquestionably a yeah. comedy, first and foremost. And, and what is interesting too, like it, it was one of the few things that had like a cartoon companion piece that kind of created a mythology beyond the movies that still felt like it was pretty close to the movies i, I love the real ghostbusters yeah, yeah. Uh, don't ever Definitely. watch don't ever watch ghostbusters don't ever watch that one that, that, that's, well, really... that's, that's got nothing to do with it you're talking about the one that's got like the gorilla guy and all that stuff yeah yeah <laughs> don't ever watch that one but yeah this was this is a really important uh, series for uh my childhood and it, it just it felt like i mean there was one thing that was really cool like it felt it was one of the few movies that i saw what felt like these guys were friends. They all had different personalities and came from different places. But when it came to busting those ghosts, you know, it made them feel good. <laughs> yeah. It made you feel good. Like it, it, it didn't feel so reliant on stereotypes. It didn't feel so reliant on, you know, kind of things that were honestly like making films terrible at that time. Cause it was like, you know, there there's some movies I cannot watch from that time. They were just unwatchable. But this was this was one of those sweet spots. So when I saw this trailer, there's something that they're capturing in this film that I haven't seen a while in a while. And it's kind of like this perfect balance of like um so I like Stranger Things. I think Stranger Things is like one of the better shows created in the past like 10 years. But there's something about Ghostbusters that kind of felt like the stakes in that movie were insane. It was like, it wasn't just the town that they were in. It was like the world could get destroyed. And, and, and that felt very like, scary to me like mm-hmm. that these 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 monsters looked nuts like i had not seen anything like that before this trailer seems to capture that sense of like <clears throat> the horror comedy and the wholesomeness that you felt when you were watching ghostbusters and it it there's a legacy sort of capture that they're, they're kind of getting at that doesn't feel like it's a, a cash grab there's, there's no reward in releasing a Ghostbusters in 2021. Really? I mean, like, I don't think that, I don't think this is going to be like the most popular movie in the past 10 years, but it will be one of those movies. If it's done well enough, that will be a cult classic and will make over time, 
probably triple what a what a what a movie could have done typically. So like I I just think that it's it looks like it's doing all the things right. That's all I was thinking. I mean, I I, I, th- I feel like it might be a massive hit because I do think, think there's so? a lot of I just think there's a lot of cultural capital built up around this property, and I think for whatever reason, um, you know, like okay, we've we've seen a sequel to it. Mm-hmm. That that isn't as highly regarded as the first one. People like parts of the sequel, but th- it's not as highly regarded. Um, there was a reboot that a lot of people like and a lot of people don't, and it's not as highly regarded. And here is a a another sequel. You know what I mean? This is another attempt yeah. to kind of like it is a bit of a reboot in the sense of re- recharging things and coming up with a fresh spin on it. But it does have to kind of weave together. I think that audience that wants to see um, a funny movie. With funny yeah. actors doing funny things and the sort of nostalgia beast that has to be fed. And there was a clip I sent you guys a link that um it's uh Jason Reitman, that's his name, right? Jason. Yeah. Uh Jason Reitman uh talking about the trailer and kind of breaking down what's going on with it and stuff. It's kind of an odd thing to have a director like explain to you a trailer, but I feel like they're really trying to assure the 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 OG true fans of Ghostbusters that this is a movie that knows its stuff and did its homework and isn't like filmed in a kind of indifferent way, which I enjoyed uh, Ghostbusters answer, answer the call from 2016. I, I still think it kind of holds up as a movie you can watch and it's got a lot of laughs in it. But one of the things that you can say about Paul Feig's, uh, Paul Feig, Paul Feig, um, his, his directorial uh, style is that it's a little bit loosey goosey and indifferent and it doesn't have the sort of, uh, the sort of attempt at grandeur, the sort of sweep that um, that Ivan Reitman brought to the first Ghostbusters. When you watch that movie, the way it's filmed, I mean, it's meant to be like it's trying to sell you on the 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 sci-fi horror elements. So it's it's made filmically. It's trying to be as state of the art as it can be, and it's got a certain mood to it and stuff. And I don't know that you can quite say that about the 2016 Ghostbusters, but I do think it had a lot of laughs in it. So I don't know. I think that like this movie doesn't seem like it's emphasizing the laughs in the trailer. I bet with the cast it's got that there will be some laughs, and I think there's some surprises and some story. I mean. They're holding back so much, and they've held back. They've kept the storyline so close to their uh, vest this whole time. I think that um, you know, I'm really interested to see this movie. I'm totally on the hook. I think the trailer. If you think about like a comeback trailer to a comedy, pick like a, your favorite comedy from 20 or 30 years ago, and imagine a sequel that's made with this reverent feel and this kind of. It feels a little bit unlike Ghostbusters tonally to me. But one when I see the Ecto. Uh, one, you know, like doing donuts out in the cornfield. And when I see like, uh, like Paul Rudd in particular, there's a moment that he sells like his, just the look on his face when he sees the little marshmallow people torturing each other. It just sells the comment. It makes me think, is he going to be the, is he going to be the Murray of this? Or is he going to be the Moranis of this? Are we going to, is he going to, what side of, of Paul Rudd are we going to get? But I, I'm not as interested in it focusing on the kids, but the kid actors, they've got some good ones. And it, again, the shots, the, the scenes that you see, it all looks pretty well done and really respectfully done. I don't think you need to be that reverent to Ghostbusters, but it looks like a really good movie. <laughs> so I'm, I'm super excited yeah. to see see what shape it takes. Also knowing that there are going to be some big surprises and that that little shot at the end of the trailer with uh, what seems to be, spoiler alert, everybody, what seems to be Dan Aykroyd's character <laughs> um, answering the phone. Um, I don't know. It, it you know, it, we've talked before about how fan service doesn't have to be bad. And I think that we're going to get a lot of that kind of stuff. This feels like a movie that might service up some of that good, good, yummy kind of fan service. 
Yeah, I think this is actually probably going to be. I, I hope it is, and I think it probably could be a pretty big hit for Sony. I think. Uh, I hope so. It's. Uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that they pushed it back three times. I think they've already test screened the movie a lot, and you know, I do think it kind of. I, I was going to mention the Stranger Things thing as well, Ronald. Like, I feel like there is a bit of a, a vibe to it that yeah. I think is like attempting to appeal, especially in the marketing, to. Um, that kind of uh that tone and trying to mix it a bit like with the, the the classic ghostbusters feel but it definitely feels a lot more in line as a real sequel to the ghostbusters films uh this one the i think it's actually i think called ghostbusters afterlife yes um but i think uh you know the 2016 movie it was fine i just i did feel like it just kind of felt like a separate thing yeah, um, it's a reboot, and it wasn't a. Yeah, I mean, they very pointedly didn't take place in the same universe because they had to restart the whole right. idea of what Ghostbusters are. They weren't building on right. the, the storyline at all. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. There's just something that feels great about it. I'm very excited mm-hmm. to see it, and I think the trailer is great. Uh, I watched it a couple times ago on the big TV here in the basement with Aaron the other day to show her, and it kind of gives me like goosebumps a little bit. It kind of gives me like it kind of gets me emotional even like hearing them talk about Egon and stuff like that. Like yeah. a lot of those scenes really when those kids come busting around the corner in the Ecto one and like drop that little drone cart mm-hmm. and like, that's how they're trapping the ghost. Like, I'm like, yes, let's, let's make it a little modern, but let's keep it classic. <laughs> and I was like, this is, this, this is kids being smart in today's age. Yeah. And she's obviously a super smart kid. And, you know, just like her grandfather was, I, I'd like that idea. I like that tie. Yeah. The cast is amazing. And, you know, it's just, it, I feel like it's going to have that, that, that feeling to it, which Ghostbusters had as well. Um, and I hope it's a hit cause I, I can't wait to see it. And I hope it does. I hope it's right because it, there's also something about Jason directing it and, you know, you know, coming around and Ivan still producing it. Like, it's just, it's just a, it feels right. And I, I would really like to see it succeed, especially You're in saying it feels right, era. man. It feels right, man. It feels Ivan right, man. Um, no, but it, I, I kind of agree with all that. Like, and I'm not even someone who thought we needed to say, like, let's let's get back, let's let's pay all this respect to it. But it does, like, when you talk about right. what what right. it feels, there's a little bit of that magic, you know. Even the yeah. again, not that you need a director breaking down a trailer for you, but he talks about some of the effects being practical, and I feel like you kind of Ooh. sense that, um, and the fact that they're just trying to. <clears throat> like again, I don't need them to be like we promise, guys. We went back to the original and we we copied everything we could about it. But I feel like it right, feels right. more like a mark of like letting people know where this movie's coming from and that you can expect it visually to throw back to that. I don't know if it's done well, then yeah. then that's just one more way to do it, you know. Um, yeah, so yeah, and I could see those character entrances that we might see being really fun and really exciting, and you know, there's a lot of. They can get a lot of real drama out of this. I just hope that it's that it's actually got jokes in it too, just because that's yeah. part that's part of the tradition yeah. as well. Um, but uh, you know, it doesn't hurt to have it, like Paul Be- Rudd at least of the main yeah, cast. I was he, say he, Paul Rudd he, he, he's the laugh getter, but I, I don't know who else that's in it. Like I think there's other people that have been, that are in this that we just haven't seen in the trailer because they're trying to keep the the story yeah. under wraps. And I'm kind of glad they're doing yeah. that. I like uh, I like not knowing. I mean, if I'm going to see something anyway, why not string me along? I don't care. Uh, <clears throat> It's a good right, trailer. Right, right. Yeah. Can't wait for that one. Right, too. Wait. Well, there's no sense in putting it off any longer, boys. <laughs> hmm. 
You sound so excited. I beg to differ. Well, <laughs> anybody got anything else, please, they want to talk about? No, let's talk about uh, from um, 1989. Is that when this came out? Yep. Yeah. 1989. Uh, with a budget of $8 million and a box office of $22.1 million. So not the best return uh, proportionally of the series. Um, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Ronald, this was your first time seeing this movie, right? Yeah. So why don't you why don't you start us off? Because Steve and I probably had pre existing feelings. We 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 tried to prepare you. We said this is we're entering into the the uh, the bad place when it comes to uh, to this franchise. But yeah, when you sat down to watch this, for one thing, it's been a while. It's been several months since we did our last Watch 'Em All episode of Nightmare on Elm Street three and four. Did you have any residual feelings that you kind of remembered, or did you feel like you were coming in cold to this very you know, strange. <laughs> I was coming in cold. Honestly, I did not see this movie, but I did see the sixth. Uh, but um, I had I had not not seen this movie at all. You know, what's funny. I was thinking about this as I was watching it. Had I have seen these films, I would not have been afraid of Freddy. I think for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. I think for I think some of the mystique of Freddy was that he came in your dreams, you know, and he killed you in your dreams and all that stuff. But I was so afraid to see the films that I had. I was I was disillusioned. I was like, man, this guy is ruthless. He's like essentially like like Candyman, essentially. Like the, when I saw Candyman, I was like, I don't ever want to say this ever in life. But when I started seeing these, man, and we're watching this stuff like I know how it was like everything scared me when i was a kid guys like any darkness any corner corner darkness my my family just used to scare me all the time they used to plan to jump out of dark corners and scare the fuck out of me because i was the youngest kid so everything (laughs) scared me i'm telling you five and six would not have scared me at all like on any level would have scared me right um i don't know what why does it take them so long to establish where Freddy is in this world? Why does it, why do they spend so much time just fucking around, just dicking around, just showing us the town? And they seem to think that the banter between the teenagers is interesting enough to keep us entertained. And there's, and we're just, we're fresh off of like the eighties deliverance of lines where there's like this, like, can we jam in as much dialogue as possible for for one line? It's like, <clears throat> well, what's the big deal? You know, Freddie's coming. Up, okay, okay, we got. There's the, like a lot of that, like a lot of that '80s style delivery of dialogue. I mean, we can't escape it. I mean, that's just the way people are speaking in films. Like the the, the naturalistic thing is something that's kind of came later on, but this. This movie was fucking atrocious, man. <laughs> I'm the, so glad. Like, I mean, I, I knew you wouldn't like it, but I'm kind of glad that there's not going to be like a, 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 a defender of this movie on this. But yeah. Not to say that we should just sit here and trash it, but I just mean like yeah. it is interesting how whatever is fun about Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street 4 is yeah. like not fun about this one. Like the characters yes. right from the start are not very interesting. It's the usual thing of starting with a scene of them that sketches in who they are. And mm-hmm. this this high school graduation scene, it that seems like it should be a like a a good way to establish some new yeah. characters and that we've got Alice no. and is it Dan? 
Are those their Dan, names, yeah. Alice and Dan? Um, yep. You know, I don't think we hated Alice at the end of... Uh, we thought she was a little bit of a wet blanket, but at the end of uh, Dream Master, we thought yep. she was okay. But in this movie, there's just no... I mean, I think I had the same experience, Ronald, of coming in, even though... Because I've seen this movie maybe two or three times before this. I've not really watched it. You know, it's not one I've played a bunch. Yeah. But I had that feeling of coming in going, like, I don't really care about these people. And I don't really feel like they're connected to a story that I'm that interested in. And I think that there is an interesting thing about the first four, that that there is some connection back to really the first three, but the fourth kind of piggybacks Definitely. in with a, with a few surviving characters. It piggybacks onto the idea of like, we're, we're, we're kind of getting the, the real story. And I guess Kincaid and uh, Joey. Um, yeah. Get, get to find out what happens to them. But this one starts to feel like, and because you said, you know, and I do think let's open this up because this is an interesting thing I had in my notes, restating the origin. They do have to do that because they have to establish what's going on with Freddy with a new bunch of people. And yeah. I have, I don't know, maybe through these two movies, we can come back to that idea of like, how much do we need to spend time with people figuring it out versus not? But how so they're going so to restate it constantly, but they're also going to, I think in five and in six, they are doing these things that are taking it away from like what's worked in the past and like a, a new structure, a new way, like both five and six are, are different ways of being kind of separate from the original lore of yeah. like why these killings were happening and what Freddy's, what his sort of scope, uh, well, you know, what his vengeance meant, like who he was yeah. getting right, vengeance right. on, the children of, of the people of Elm Street, the parents of Elm Street who had burned him. And each movie kind of adds to the mythology a little bit. So, I mean, I would love to get in. I have some specifics about that for this, but I don't know. That that would be my thought in this one would be that it does feel like it's kind of off-putting because it's both going to rehash everything, but it's also going to put its own little weird spin on it that you're going to hear them talk about it and you're going to be like, well, that's not exactly what they'd said before. And, you know, the rules of Freddy have to change continually because there has to be some new way to defeat him and some new way for him to get around right. that. And it just starts right. to feel a little elaborate and not as clean as the, 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 the scariness of the original idea. Yeah. I feel like it also, like when it becomes like, I like the more elaborate that backstory gets or like the origins get, like, I feel like it's a risk you run when you, if you, if you make it more elaborate and it's yeah. not actually adding anything to like, the relevance of of these characters you know in this movie or like you know their t maybe their connection to it whether it's a direct connection to it or something you know more historical or whatever but like i feel like when you start adding these little details to the history of this character or to the origin of this character and it just becomes a little more like um just, just like bogged down or just like bloated like it, it doesn't really add anything genuinely to yeah. this movie the movie still ends up being a movie about this guy who exploits, you know, these teenagers, you know, the unique thing about their lives in the movie during their yeah. dreams, you know, like there, there's nothing really that gets added when they start making these origins so elaborate in five and six and, right. and like pulling in all these other elements of who Freddie is, was, you know, could have been whatever, but like, it just becomes so, I think bloated or something. I don't know the right word I'm trying to place, but it just like doesn't do anything for the story because the story is the same. You know what I mean? Like the real, the map of the movie stays the same. It's not actually expanding in any way that makes the movie more unique than the six sequels before it or whatever the case may be, you know? Right. But don't you need to know that 
Freddie's <laughs> mom was sexually assaulted. Right, Don't you need to right. know that? Right. Several scenes. Don't you need to see her actually getting attacked by the guys? Don't you need to see that? I mean, I, mean, I, I feel like that's showing us more and more of his origin. You're is is like so unnecessary, and that's what both of these movies do is try to give us yeah. more of like that. Now you see this, but I think too, like, so we have that the, at least that scene, which is unnecessary and unpleasant that you're talking about, Ronald. That opens the movie more or less, where yeah. Alice is in her dream, kind of in the place of Amanda Kruger, in the place of Freddie's mom. Um, so it's like, and it's, yeah, what's implied is so, you know, we know it's not just implied, but I'm just saying they don't, it's not a graphic scene. It, it, the camera, you know, it's staged so that you don't see the actual assault once it occurs, but it is one of the more unpleasant details of the, the past films that they, that they love coming back to. And so they, They they, you know, to kind of feature that in the front of this movie and then have this thing about Amanda Kruger, I I, I do want to share a little bit of a, um, there's this weird, we're talking about adding to the mythology. Very early in this movie, Alice is in the dream. So she's kind of in the in the place of Amanda Kruger, and then she's outside of that. And then she's, you know, she's like running around in this kind of dream world, and she's encountering this Freddy that's being born. And it's like <laughs> a weird little Freddy baby that we see. And um, uh, and he's kind of growing into his adult form. And there's like a mid middle version of him that's got like long fingers and toes. And he's just jumping around. It's just a very strange opening sequence. Um, that, you know, he, at the end of that, he's like, does one of those big lines, it's a boy standing there. But like <laughs> the mythology aspect, I want to get at this because th- there's a bit of dialogue in this opening scene that kind of sells what the new rules are. Amanda says to Freddie, Amanda Kruger's ghost then shows up and it's not Alice. Now Alice is between the two of them and it's the different actress than played the mom before, but it's the, it's the mom. And she says, you brought me back to give you life but now I must take yours. Yeah. To, to Are you talking about me. when she falls back into the... I'm talking about at the, at the, at the beginning of yeah. the movie. Yeah. yeah, she falls back and then turns into like a little toy and then because she's so far away. And then she says to um, uh, uh, Alice, I must be released from my earthly prison. And then I think you hear her say, look in the tower, as, like the, as Alice is going into either another part of the dream or waking up, I can't remember which. But like... That is like the loaded bit of dialogue that is like you have to believe that and understand that to understand that like that's the new wrinkle that's been added to this is that Freddie has found like a new way of being born again by somehow mm. like bringing back the ghost of his mom inside Alice's mind and 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 then also feeding souls into into Alice's Alice baby. baby. <laughs> I mean it's so it's so it's so elaborate it's so tortured and like yeah. I think you could have either one of those maybe and make sense out of it. Oh, the mom's ghost is involved in this storyline. Or you could say, this is all about a, a pregnant woman getting Freddie's, you know, Freddie trying to be reborn through a pregnant woman. Those things both sound, I don't know, like a movie, I guess. But when yeah. you put both of them together in like an opening scene, I don't know. And also that opening scene, Too we much. should say, is intercut with like, uh, you know, uh, USA after dark kind of sex scene. Uh, uh, stuff like so many of those movies opened with that exact kind of blue lighting on like are, the, are those back muscles did I see a buttock I don't know what's going yeah. on here and that's like intercut with this weird dream of I think as as she goes into the story that we just described um, it just felt so much cheaper and cheesier from the opening on than the last movies which even though four felt a little cheesier than three you know those movies tried to have like opening sequences that were kind of artfully done or interesting but yeah. this really felt like it was you know, uh, like starting to get 
where they weren't just they just weren't trying as hard to do something that was aesthetically interesting. You also mentioned those two crazy ideas, like the ad to the mythology, and you're also talking about a movie that's under an hour and a half long. <laughs> yes, right. You know, yes. so keep, this is also something to keep in mind. Yeah, it, somehow it's supposed to. You know, you're saying that, but you know the way you said that sounds like it should be moving at a breakneck speed, but it doesn't. Somehow it 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 is moving at a sluggish pace to explain some of this stuff within that hour, which is crazy to me. And also, when Freddy materializes, why is part of his body messed up? Why is there like this like janky arm that he has that they never explain? They never explain his janky arm. You don't remember it, it, that stage in between being a baby and being an adult where you were like a, a regular sized adult with long toes and fingers? <laughs> <laughs> It's so crazy, man. Like it's it's unbearable, and it's like you know, it's I, unnecessary. It's <laughs> unnecessary. This is one. This is one of the first ones that I felt like it almost felt like um, like they wrote set pieces. They had set pieces, and then they wrote the story around the set pieces. They some of the scenes when when Freddy came to life, it just didn't make any sense. Like it was just like layers and layers of things so like one thing would happen you're like oh shit the ground splitting oh something's coming from the ground okay this thing from the ground is coming okay freddie comes and then the back window explodes and then he falls down for no reason and then you think <laughs> that's it and then more things happen <laughs> it just sounds it's it's like a person was sniffing coke when they wrote this script it just isn't I don't even know how I'm saying this, but like, it's not practical. It's not pr practical within this world. Who did write this one? Uh, screenplay by Leslie Bohem is an American screenwriter, television writer, and former bassist. <laughs> That's an interesting okay. resume. Let me just hey look now. At, let me just look at this uh, resume. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Desperado. Dante's Peak. Badlands. Daylight. He wrote uh, Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday, but it says uncredited script work. So maybe there was some, you know, okay. brought, he was brought in for a rewrite that didn't get credit. Um, yeah, you know, not a not a shameful career, I guess, but not a not a distinguished one. <laughs> but no, it doesn't feel like it's the script's problem so much as it's just the overall production value. It just feels a little bit sleazy. And it's interesting yeah. that how much um, did Dream Master cost? So this movie actually costs more than the last one. But I felt like the production value looked like it had slipped a little bit. Maybe I'm just yeah. wrong, but it didn't feel like they were like being as careful and inventive with the like some of the prosthetics in particular just looked bad. Like um yeah. when Greta gets stuffed full of food, which is on top of being like a sadistic kind of unpleasant uh, yeah. death that doesn't feel like it really makes sense in the world of the story because she's at a table with people who presumably would try to help a choking girl help her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, rather than just sitting there looking at her. Um, but yeah, that those prosthetics don't look very good. And I don't think they did for the time either. Um, yeah. But, and also Freddie, we, we like to track that. We'll, we'll talk about some of our favorite deaths, I guess, when we're wrapping up on the movie. But um, what do you think about Freddie's look in this one? You know, the, the, the makeup's always a little bit different. Oh, it's, you know, I, the chief complaint that I have about Freddie is that his fucking makeup looks different every scene. And it, it, it was, you know how you can track it? There's like a 
there's like this pocket that kind of sits at the side of his head that you can see, right? And if you look at his skin, it kind of like <laughs> every couple of scenes is like on a different place. There's like this little pocket that I, I'm like, okay, that's Freddie's face because there's like this pocket, but like it's 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 like somebody in the makeup spot didn't say like let's take a picture of this scene this first scene so we know how yeah. the makeup looks so that in the fifth scene it won't look like a totally different person jim does the makeup on on mondays wednesdays and fridays and then the yes. guy named todd comes in on on tuesdays and thursdays and does the makeup and it's wasn't also... freddie a black man at some point in this movie <laughs> freddie was clearly a black man like he was clearly like his big uh bigger taller like wrestling he looked like zeus from uh the... <laughs> yeah there was a part he was like when, a he, big when, he, when he was super pretty when he was fighting what's his name um what's that what's the what's the comic book nerd's name uh matt yeah matt, matt yeah um boy that guy's acting too like whoa I, uh, oh, Mark, Awful. Mark Gray, Joe Seeley as Mark. Oh, Gray. yeah, Mark, Mark. I mean, like, there's, you know, you kind of want to like that guy because his position in the movie is as like a pretty understanding friend. And he's got that kind of person who lasts a little bit longer in the movie kind of arc. And a different actor might have come in and done something interesting with that. But boy, some just non-existent line deliveries, you know, almost like they were just doing a, like, we're just running this for lighting, a lighting test. So d don't worry about saying your lines. Uh Joe, but um, yeah, he, he's the one who I think. Um, uh, uh, what were we just talking about that got me onto him? <clears throat> um, we've mentioned the makeup, Super Freddy. You're talking about. Oh Mark. yeah, like it's it's when he's fighting him that he he goes for that look. And you're right, <laughs> you're right, Ronald. <laughs> I didn't even think I didn't remember yeah. what you were talking about, but you're right about the that's clearly a black man in Freddy makeup. Yeah, it was it was very weird. Uh, you know, I don't think it is though. I don't think it is though. No, <laughs> you think it's a I, 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 go, going through the going through the cast list. I I know I I remember I came across the guy that plays Super okay, Freddy, well. and it's not. It's definitely not a black man. It's <laughs> well, that makes the the, um, the makeup choice that much stranger. Even worse. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like the 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 makeup in this one. It's, it's very weird. It's like that layer of like yellow that is basically all over his face. Like I feel like yeah. this movie, there's a really weird, weird like color definition in the makeup where yeah. it doesn't so much look as much like a burned like the other ones do. Like it, it looks more like maybe decayed or something like it's weird like it, it's it, it is one of the standouts is like i feel like some of the worst freddy look in terms of makeup between oh, right. this and some of part two like it's just um there's like this weird like yellow you can kind of like you're talking about there's like pockets on his face like yeah the, the outermost layer of his skin is like a yellow color yeah and it's just even in the marketing like if you find the posters and stuff for it it looks very weird and it's not it's not good. It's would not you good say this? Would you say this is his? If part two was his most chewing gummiest look, then maybe this one is his most like pizza y look. Pizza, you know, definitely, because it's got it's like great the, it's got like the almost like red. And you're right. You're right that it's like a layer of yellow. Like that. There's like the outer skin is kind of yellow, yellowish. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do think he's he looks disturbing in some shots. Sometimes the lighting is good and the makeup just works. And Robert England, like you know, we we. 
we talk about yeah. a lot that's wrong with these movies, but you know, one of the reasons Freddie has worked for people at all is because Robert England does at least try to put some kind of real performance into it. And so he does give some some moments of a menace that you can't really deny. But I agree with you, Ronald, back to your original statement. This movie is not a movie that would have made you scared of this character. At the time when I was watching this movie, I was no longer watching the Nightmare on Elm Street movies to be particularly scared. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I was, I was, it just wasn't, I don't know, other other types of movies were scaring me at that point. I, when I was, I was 16 or so when this movie came out. Um, so like, I, I don't think I had it in me to be scared of Freddy, I, but I also think that he does seem less scary the more all this stuff that we're talking about, the more the movies seem a little goofier and like they're reaching and the more the mythology comes in and the more they, this, this long build up to the moments where you see Freddy, like he's Jaws or the, the Xenomorph or something, when really mm -hmm. you kind of want it just to be one scene after another of someone falling asleep and having a nightmare and either getting yeah. got or not getting got. But all this time in between pretending we care about these, these, you know, paper thin characters. This one is yeah. like, is like if it was getting harder, like if going from three to four, it was like the people got more caricatures. They, they got another step caricaturish. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to, let's talk about some of the characters and the way we're introduced to them. I think it's very funny that Dan is the star athlete, right? At the school. Um, and, or at least he's the fastest man at the school. And it's at graduation, after graduation, that they're coming up to him saying like, you need to start thinking about college. <laughs> and like he's, he's a prospect so it's like he's graduated right also i right. think it's really funny that the day after graduation the uh yvonne has like swim practice like i've got yeah. two hours of swim practice like the day after i graduated I, maybe that happens i just don't you've got a swim meet in the summertime it just it all felt very it felt very like they didn't even try to make this make sense in the world that we recognize you were obviously just not committed in high school john <laughs> my school spirit was you know pretty much as far as like oh i've got the diploma you know there was a, a johnny shape smoke in there yeah. um <laughs> but no but like so what do we think of yvonne uh greta dan is back from part four but he's so bland you almost forget that he's a recurring character you know like there's and, yeah, and there's yeah, nothing yeah. about him and i love how that's the other thing when they set up that he's like a, a star athlete they have to say uh, he's got the need. This kid's got the need for speed because they're trying to yeah. set us up for something a little bit later, uh, as yeah. though that's a character trait. Um, but no, all the kids. There's a there's a through line. All the kids have some characteristic that's going to be related to how they might die or or Freddie's going to try to get them. And the other thing is, all the parents are pieces of shit. <laughs> all yeah. <of> them. <laughs> Can I also also ask you guys is what is it with Freddie taking his fucking arm off? What. It makes no sense. It also, it's a it's a it's a flex. It, yeah. it is a flex. <laughs> you can't also, do that. It's a it's a opposite anti flex. You yeah. Just, how does alcohol burn your arm off? Do you remember that? He's in a car. He's in a truck. And oh right, like, right, right. Then he takes the alcohol from the back because he doesn't drink. She does. And he goes like this, and his arm comes off from alcohol. Man, this movie was hard to watch, man. So yeah, you're talking about Dan's death. I guess let's talk about that ridiculous death. There, there's something that happens in that scene that I think is a sign of what's wrong with, with this movie or what's wrong with the writing in this movie. But Freddie goes, <clears throat> it's such a long, drawn-out scene. Yeah, it is. Well, yeah. Like, and it goes from a, a truck to a motorcycle, and then he becomes a motorcycle. And I mean, it's it's insane. But did you notice, <laughs> did you notice that when um when when they um 
like Freddie isn't making puns anymore. He's just shouting things yeah. that have to do with cars or have to do yeah, with yeah. like he just at some point I forget I, I wrote down what it was. He says um uh fuel injection and then I think he says power drive. This is fast lane. It just these aren't like puns. It's like this isn't his best work, but it's like that's a sign of like this movie just believes Freddie needs to be talking the whole time. Like yeah, when he's out there, yeah. he's got to be talking. Doesn't matter if they wrote anything good for him or if it's clever or anything. I mean, like it's a boy isn't like a great line, but at least it's got that Freddie kind of snap to it. You could imagine Freddie saying that, but just yeah, shouting it's the delivery, yeah. just continuing to shout at somebody and continuing to be like, "Well, what do you think now?" You know, like as you're killing someone, <laughs> it uh, it just it makes him seem so silly, and you know, to your thing ronald about him not being scary i think like oh a killer who's kind of sarcastic that's kind of scary a killer who won't shut the fuck up it stops being scary and starts being annoying yeah um and the kid the kid in the movie can we talk about this kid like uh creepy little jacob the creepy little jacob the dream child you're saying the dream child himself the dream child who is too tall to be a little kid like too 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 something there's like something about him is to something and they're trying to like he's trying to put on a voice it's like i don't know what you're talking about it just i was very confused about the point of this child and when he turns into like a mini freddy can we talk about that the makeup on that like the yeah the mini freddy like not really committing to putting makeup on his face it was just like <laughs> like he like he went to like i'm i'm giving my age a woolworth went to a woolworth and got a mask that looked like a freddy mask that he's and he's kind of trying to be like ha you got and it's he's not pulling it off is what i'm saying it just it's like they just they just they just charge right you know how we always have a thing about kids in this type of movie anyway how like the stakes are different because you don't really expect them to do too much to a kid but you know they might who knows but like um the and putting so much onto a child actor in a series like this you know there's just so much about it that 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 is calibrated uh poorly i think to to like it yeah it just does not quite click and that climax where you've got like the child and the you know, like the like the twin kind of battles happening there, and like Freddie's yeah, being yeah. absorbed, his mom's absorbing him back into her body or something, and 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 they, you know they also always have now they have these very literal souls in these movies. That's a big part of these movies is like showing yeah. where the souls are going down into somebody's belly or into this bed. Like, is it the baby that's absorbing the soul? I guess Freddie's <laughs> using the baby as his vector into the world. So the baby's got the souls in it, but you know, these movies have to show you the soul getting absorbed by Freddie uh, or the baby. And they have to show you them escaping. And this one has that really silly like thing where they all come out of Freddie's back. Um, uh, and you see like their faces and you, it takes you a second to realize that's what you're looking at. You're, oh yeah, yeah. We're looking at yeah. Dan and Greta and Mark and you know, kind of what happened to them. Um, but uh Yeah. Just, just it, yeah, all the stuff they've done before, but like less, less effective. And I can't believe this movie cost more because it looks like, doesn't yeah. it look, doesn't it, am I crazy that it looks like it costs less? <laughs> or do you think oh, it's just it cost- the nature of sequels to, to spiral out? <clears throat> I think what they did was, like I said, they had these set pieces that I think that all the money went into, like the, the elaborate, the, we need, 
when Freddie first came, that looked like that was like a quarter of the budget. Like that was the most elaborate thing I've ever seen. It just didn't make any sense. Like it was just too crazy. Yeah. It didn't really visually. It wasn't. It's hard to. If I was watching this in a movie theater, thank God that I had like. You know, pausing now is not like pausing on a tape where you could like you see, you're seeing a still sharp yeah. image. Right. If Don't I would stop. have seen this in the movies, I would not have known what the fuck was happening because it was so many things happening at once. But it looked expensive. Like you could tell that it cost quite a bit. So like those kills seem to be where the money went. And then everything seemed to be shot on a shaky cam like a hand cam like there's a lot of like what did you say there's one scene in particular where like they're in the bedroom and the friends mark and yvonne and alice are talking and like it's still like for one thing it's funny to me alice uh and mark are kind of on the same page to some extent but Mm -hmm. yvonne is that character who like late in the movie is just not here for any freddy shit she's just not she's not believing it you know um, right, but there's a scene where they're arguing or they're kind of talking in a heated way, and yeah, you run every everybody who has a line. It's another shot where the camera yes. goes in on them, and it just feels so much like a handheld, sloppy version of them trying to do something really fancy. And it reminds me of when I used to make like improv shorts with my friends, and we would do little camera moves and shit like that. You know, like it, yeah, it's just sloppy. Uh, you know, and not that, that the whole movie has that mark. I mean, they do, like you said, they do build sets. They do try to do the usual combination of like miniatures and models and, and, uh, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, composited stuff that, you know, some of it looks okay, but most of it doesn't look very convincing. And none of it really, as you said, Ronald lends towards the scares. It all kind of feels, there's a kind of chintzy, kind of B-movie-ish aspect to it. Even, like, there's a couple of scenes that I thought were part of a dream because there's, like, a matte painting. I guess it's the old yeah. mental hospital. It just so doesn't look real. And when there's not a point where a character walks up to it where it looks like they're going into a real yeah. environment. And it just threw me <laughs> off. Because there's a whole part where Alice tells Yvonne she has to go uh, after Yvonne is bought in, after she has, like, a near-death experience at the pool. Um, and that was a bit of a surprise, honestly. Like, Yvonne surviving was, you know, they, they can... These movies can always pull some little switcheroonie on you, like when it comes to like who you thought might die and who you thought might be important. But um, right. but Yvonne gets assigned, like Alice kind of gives Yvonne the hard job. Like she's like, I forget who she's going with. Uh, uh, maybe Mark. I, well, I don't know who's even alive at this point. Where's Alice going? When she basically says to Yvonne, go to the hospital and find Amanda Kruger's body. <laughs> go to the closed down, uh, you know, mental hospital. And, um, and, uh, yeah, look in the tower for a body that no one's found for, for 50 years or however long it's been, you know, and then it's just, it was so funny to me, but I can't even remember now why Alice, like, especially that seems crazy because Alice is, what's she doing? She's going to do something Freddie oriented. Are they trying to, yeah, she just wants to go. She's like, I got to go home and lay lay down, (laughs) you know, I need a nap. Will you go to the tower and find Amanda Kruger? And then the fact that Yvonne is able to just walk into a, there's a chamber. She like busts through a wall and there's just like a body sitting there uh, with a sheet on it. And then I guess she pulls the sheet off of it and it disappears. But we're to understand that at that moment, she kind of, that's her releasing Amanda Kruger from her earthly prison. Right. So that she can then come into Alice's dream and fight Freddy and absorb yeah. him into her. It just is so like... This is so crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And there's not really a, a kill that stands out as a particularly like... No. I wanted to... I was going to say, I, I got... I feel like 
we, we kind of like shit on the character a little earlier, Mark. I, I kind of feel like that whole sequence to me, at least I definitely remember like when I was younger seeing it for the first time. I liked Mark when I, I was kinda, a kid. I, I kind of felt like that character, I liked him the most in this movie. And that scene, even though his performance is questionable, I feel like that kill was the one I felt most in this movie. And, mm. you know, and I think even just like the idea of, you know, the, the way they try to do the comic tie in and, and his, and his, you know, that's like his angle um, in the movie. And like, you know, uh, I, I kind of like that sequence. I think, you know, mainly because I liked his character the most um, in my mind, remembering like the times I had seen it before this rewatch. I mean, it, it, it sticks out a little more, you know, what's wrong with it, but I still kind of like him the most in this movie. Um, he's kind of like, seems like a pretty good friend and yeah. um, it kind of, it kind of sucks to see him go a little bit. And I, and I, you know, we talked about the super Freddy stuff, like and that stuff is kind of silly and, you know, it looks, it looks kind of ridiculous at times, but I, I did think, um like the sequence like where he's seeing himself in the comics you know kind of play out a little bit before he realized what's going on yeah like i, I kind of like that and i thought that was a little more creative and, and and for most of the movie stuff that felt like it was either just complete bloat complete way too elaborate retreaded stuff like that seemed a little different a little more fun to me um especially if they are committed to these you know this movie kind of being a little more out there, a little more silly in some ways. Although in some stuff, Freddy's a little more serious and scary again, or they're trying to make him like that in this movie. But that scene for me, if I had to pick a kill, like a best kill or my favorite part of the movie, I kind of remembered that one being a standout to me. And even on the rewatch, it kind of, it stands out because it kind of reminded me a little bit of the, uh, the one in three, like, where each character has that moment where like their skill, their hobby gives them the upper hand on Freddie for a moment. Yeah. And then they realize like, no, you know, like he's got you kind of thing. Right. Um, but yeah, so I guess I'd probably go with Mark if I, if I had to pick one. I think you're right because even, I mean, I think we were talking about the, just how odd that performance was. I think yeah. that character is definitely one of the more likable characters in the movie because he sticks around. He's got a little bit of depth to him. He seems sad. He does, you know, he liked Greta, so he's sad. Yeah. He's like a good friend to Alice. There's even like the one moment where they deal with the discussion of abortion. They don't talk yeah. about it necessarily, but they allude to it. He says, you know, that you have other options with this baby. And she says, no, I'm going to keep it. But it's like the fact that he's bringing that up in a no judgment kind of friend way. I don't know. It. it I agree right. with you, Steve, that like he, there was something kind of soulful about that character that even with the kind of amateurish performance, sometimes it can work towards making you more sympathetic to someone in a weird way. Like he's just an awkward guy. Um, and right. I also think that, yeah, maybe because that death, it's like they do establish as, as silly as it might be. He's drawing this this character, this particular character throughout the movie, and you see when you see his like home, and it's a little bit weird. He lives in a in like a lumber yard that he works at or something, but um he uh, or a hardware store right? or something, but um <laughs> run by his dad. But he um yeah, you just see it all around, and you know it it positions him as that kind of like quote unquote geek character, which right. it's almost like Randy Meeks in in Scream or something, where it's like here's a character or the Frog Brothers in uh, Lost Boys, where it's meant to make the audience who's into this kind of stuff see themselves a little bit in the character. Um, 
And yeah, I agree that it, it, it also is, is one of the deaths that plays on that kind of idea of let's get creative with the dream imagery, both the idea that Alice looks down and sees that he's entered a drawing and then right. that she, even though it's hilarious, she draws herself in so crudely with Alice and an arrow pointing to it, <laughs> yeah. but it's like kind of yeah. creative use of that. And then the comic that he, he can tell he's still in the dream because the comic he's looking at is about him. All that right. stuff is like pretty well uh, it reminds me of the the better dream sequence deaths that, you know, some of these sequences do play out o- over a long time. And I think that's actually two different sequences with Mark where he's he's kind of in a dream and then out and then back in. Um, yeah, I would agree. Ronald, what do you have a favorite scene or favorite death in this? There's nothing that, there's nothing to say favorite uh, about. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I guess it wasn't quite it didn't feel quite as like weighted, but the. I guess the comic book one, man, because it was it was interesting to see a kid get shredded up as a as a piece of paper. I mean, yeah. it was weird. I it, it I didn't like it when I first saw it, but when I when I stopped watching the movie, I was like, that was haunting <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> I was like, that is weird. That is a weird way to go to be stuck in paper and just get no blood, just get sliced up. Uh, well, you could imagine a really cool version of that, though. You know what I mean? Like someone could do a really cool effect yeah. of like someone realizing yeah. they're 2D and then that they can be sliced up in that way. But I think that's just one of those things where the compositing is of of its time and also maybe not the best available. And so, yeah, it looked like whenever it cuts to an effect shot and like the, the film quality on the shot is so different than other shots around Changes. it. And the lighting is very different. The, the um the color grading or whatever. Um, I don't know if I have much else to say about part five. Anybody, I have one other little thing I wanted to mention just because it's a, well, there's two effects, I guess the effects of this, if we're going to stay on that theme, I had two effects that I thought were egregious that I wanted to mention. One is the effect of Amanda at the very end of the movie as, as it's pulling out. And it's like supposed to be Amanda kind of wrestling with Freddie's spirit, but like trapped in this dream world. Now that she's keeping him there. It, it yeah. cuts to, it's such a cheap little miniature doll. That's like going, as the camera pulls out and it just doesn't, it lingers on it too long to, to be like a clever use of, of like a cheap effect. And the other one is the part where, and I think it's, um, maybe it's, it's Freddie's arm coming off. Is it one of two times that his arm comes off, but like the arm falls and explodes into like super animated looking spiders, like 2d, like uh, rotoscope looking spiders, like someone traced over film. And then, then, cuts to a real bunch of spiders like on yeah. the jacket and then she's stomping on them but she's, well, she's so, not stomp- she's so she's clearly like trying not to, like clearly there's a wrangler there going like do not harm the spiders you know yeah or the, so it's like hey could you stomp but don't touch them at all but it's like so the foot it's like it's it's like the worst possible assemblage of shots they could have put together to sell that that idea you know and it's a combination of like oh they got real spiders and they put it in effect but th- but they didn't i don't know it just makes you think there was an ineptness or something or a, a rush or something behind this that they just couldn't they couldn't stage the things particularly well so any parting thoughts to uh dream child ronald no no Steve? man I, I i didn't think this could get worse i was going to say i was going to say like uh let 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 let's let that transition a little bit yeah, you know, I have like the opening, there's there's a lot going on in the opening of this. And I think we should have been tracking the openings of these movies from the beginning because Nightmare on Elm Street movies, I think 
a lot of times they do throw in like a quote at the beginning, like about the nature of dreams or sleep or something like that. So they, that's like a precedent. But this one starts off with a Nietzsche quote. Uh, yeah. and of course, I'm talking about our next selection, <laughs> selection, and our, our next watch them all selection, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. It starts with a Nietzsche quote, do you know the terror of he who falls asleep? To the very toes he is terrified because the ground gives way under him and the dream begins. And you're like, well, that's a pretty interesting quote. This must be a, a very erudite piece of entertainment. And then the next quote comes up and it says, welcome to prime time, bitch. <laughs> and, it, and it's accredited to Freddy Krueger. Um, I feel like that right there tells you, like, this movie is trying so hard to be something. It's trying so hard to be badass. Trying so hard to be, like, smarter than it is. And and then we, we've been talking about the needless conceits of these films. This one has this crazy, um, like, a totally cheap opening sequence. If we're, if we're tracking the degradation of the effort of the opening sequences, this is just, like, titles that come up. It's really nothing. But there's this bizarre opening i mean did you guys uh think about this it says springwood ohio 10 years from now so yeah. 10 years from 91 when this movie came out i guess so 2001 maybe but also maybe they're just trying to say whenever this is that you're watching this it's 10 years in the future mysterious killings and suicides wipe out entire population of children and teenagers so that's for one thing it doesn't seem like a complete sentence but okay okay remaining adults are experiencing mass psychosis there is new evidence of one surviving teenager. What the fuck? Yeah, I don't know what that was, man. <laughs> it was very unclear. Like, what, what, what was the line of thinking? Like, is that what the script said? We open on a map, and what would be? It would have been just as effective as having two people eating at a bar talking about that. Like, I don't know. I don't understand why that had to. And it continues like that. It was one of the weirdest openings I'd ever seen. I don't understand what. I, th I think it just hit me really hard. Just how how hard this franchise had fallen off. Like it just. They were grasping at straws, just trying to come up with ideas. It just did not feel good. Like I mean nothing about this film. Yeah, the the idea that like I mean we've always had this idea that maybe on Elm Street there's not a lot of kids of a certain age or something. But this idea that like that's spread to just now there's just populations of teenagers being wiped out. And yet they don't go to much effort to make the world seem like it's post-apocalyptic. However, every place yeah. we go is kind of like grimy. <clears throat> right. So I don't know. I, I feel mean, like it's, I, yeah. Go ahead. I say I feel like I feel like the the only thing you can think of is that like the idea is just read if you read about like some of the like out there ideas of what this movie could have been. Like I think the idea that they changed the title a little bit um, is probably a little more telling that like they were really trying to like make this a little bit different. You know, it's obviously still Freddy and his mode is still there and everything, but like. I would, like some of the other scripts or some of the other like story ideas for this movie were kind of out there, you know, like one of them had like Alice's son being the main character and like the dream warriors coming back to like help him battle Freddy. And uh, I think that sounds like, really Wikipedia, cool. Wikipedia also has like a note that like Peter Jackson wrote a script like yeah. for this movie that was, you know, not used like about 
you know, which sort of kind of takes a little bit of play in Freddy vs. Jason, yeah. like the idea that like teens aren't afraid of him and they like take sleeping pills to like confront him in the dream world and like things like that, which is also different and kind of out there. So, I mean, kind of how weird this story is and like where it goes with, you know, jumping into the future and like the sole survivor who has amnesia, who, you know, can't, doesn't know why there's any, like why there's significance to him and why he survived or it's, yeah, it's just, um, I would probably say this one is, is the weakest for me. Yeah. Like, I think, I think we, well, maybe we'll agree. Yeah. I think that while, while the other one, well, dream child. yeah. Yeah. While five kind of like definitely goes off the rails or starts to, uh, for the most part, there's still some sort of connective barely uh, to the four films prior, you know, like kind of what John was saying about that one. Like, you know, there's less and less of a connection to what comes before it. And I mean, I think this one is the more, and, and not even just that, but I mean, you watch this movie and like, you really do feel the desperation to make this something that people still have any interest in seeing. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I think it actually made more than five. Um, but yeah, I think some of that had to do with like the idea that like the last 10 minutes of the movies in 3d and like, you know, they have some special cameos in it from some pretty big stars, like all kinds of weird shit that's in this movie that really have nothing to do with the movie itself. But it's just like another way to like market a movie that is probably like th- at this point out of gas. And like, it felt like the franchise both narratively just creatively at anything that they could put on the, on the screen. Like it just felt very tired and very boring. Like, I don't know, this is for sure my least favorite of the entire franchise. I think, um, again, even though there are some really unique things about it, but I don't think it really works in the movie's favor at all. Um, like, you know, there's cameos from Johnny Depp, uh, Roseanne, Barr, Tom Arnold, um, I feel like somebody else is in there that I'm forgetting. Um, Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's so let's do a little bit of. Uh, I, I have two things I want to get to here. Uh, there's a mythology check, but there's also a little bit just the stats check. This one was written by Michael DeLuca, who is you know very important in the um, you know like founding of uh, uh, or at least he was a president of New Line. Uh, cinema for a while so he's he's had a hand in you know shepherding some pretty good movies into the screen and didn't he also write the screenplay for uh, in the mouth of madness the john carpenter movie that i like a lot i think a lot of people like a lot i think that's a michael i'm not sure i mean it's i guess it's an interesting script because of how many of those ideas you're talking about it tries to bring in steve so we'll come back to those ideas in one second i did want to mention it's another if the last one was was uh, 90 minutes with credits this is 89 minutes with credits (laughs) Um, this one cost nine to eleven million, so a little bit more than the last one. But I swear, it looks like it cost less than the last one. These movies look like they're getting cheaper, but they're not. Um, but it made thirty four point nine million. So you're right, Steve. It did better 
uh, like proportionally than the, uh, in terms of profits, uh, hmm. uh, in terms of those numbers they look at, you know, uh, than the last one. But it was, I think, designed to be a genuine ender to the series. And you can kind of feel that, that they're trying to add some yes. new mythology and actually kind of end it. So we're, we're getting, there's a bit of character stuff with regards of like Freddy's backstory. We'll get to that in a minute. But as far as the mythology that's added to this movie, we mentioned how it starts off with this idea that teenagers are getting rare, apparently. And it's not clear if it's just in the, in the area or if it's all over the world, but it seems like it's everywhere. So there's one surviving teenager, but there's also a bit of mythology as delivered by uh, Yafat Koto in the greatest wig that's ever been placed on an actor's <laughs> head. And, uh, and uh, a character who, let me make sure I'm getting her name right. She is... Um, uh, well, now I'm wondering, is it Lindsay Fields? Oh, no, it's uh, Lisa Zane is the actress uh, who, um, I believe that's her name. Lisa Zane, who is uh, the other other doctor, or she seems to be working at this this clinic, this like bombed out uh, clinic for, for wayward kids in this post-apocalyptic scenario. But she's in his office. And and she's she asks him about a poster that he's got on his wall, and, and it depicts these weird worm-like creatures. And as she's looking at it, he's like, oh, you like it? These are ancient dream demons. Supposedly, they roam the dreams of the living till they find the most evil, twisted human imaginable. Then they give him the power to cross the line and turn our, nightmare, turn our nightmares into reality. And it's like, oh... Gee, I wonder if that's going to be part of Freddy's mythology. <laughs> I wonder if this movie's going to going to give us a big old slice of uh, dream worms. <clears throat> and they do. We're expected <laughs> we're expected to take those dream and worms very seriously and very literally. So much so that there's a point in the movie where Freddy, like for the first time ever, refers to this force behind him. You know, he's like says something about. I, th I think it's when he's talking to Yafet Koto later and he's like cutting his fingers off and talk about all the different ways people have tried to kill him. Um, but he says he'll always come back because, um, you know, he can't die now. And he's just like, at least that's what they told me. You know, that's the first time we've heard Freddie refer to this other thing. And then he says, who? And he says, the dream people. So that's what Freddie says. But then we see what, what they're appearing to him as. And the fact that he calls those people, I don't know, Freddie, maybe he just hasn't been around people in a long time. But those are... Um, skeletal worm with like those are like sperm worms with with skull faces on them you know like those aren't people Freddy. what are we talking about yeah. we're talking about sperm worms in a nightmare on elm street movie like but like they're yeah. flying around him and they're coming to him and they're like they're literally like having like a uh like a what do they call an evaluation meeting like you would have with a boss they're literally like yeah. we know right. you want to advance with the company frederick but you know there's something we need you to do first you've got to get your uh souls collected numbers up um and he's like, okay, boss, I will. You know, it's just the weirdest, but it's the, it, so yeah, it's crazy visually. It's crazy oh story-wise. And it's crazy to yeah. add that in. It's again, like, do we need this? And I think that there is a thing, and I was talking to my son about this, um, the idea that like slasher films have the problem or the, the, you know, the feature or the bug, depending on how you look at it and what their concept is of having to figure out some way to make a movie feel like something happened at the end of it. And then still knowing we're, if we come back, we're going to have some way of bringing this person back. And I think Nightmare on yeah. Elm Street has like, similar to some of the other franchises, but maybe more than the most. I feel like after part three, 
and maybe even starting with one, but three was definitely designed to be like, here's the way you get Freddy. Here, we've killed him. We've got him. And then four was like, no, that's how you get him. And then five was like, no, this is how you get Freddy, definitively. And then six has to be like, nope, actually, there are dream worms involved that are spermy skeleton faces, and they fly around. And that's that's the get, getting rid of those guys. That's how yeah. you get Freddy. It's like, or getting those guys to leave, or just making Freddy. It's still unclear exactly you know, what the parameters of those characters, if you want to call them that, they do have like little voices, <laughs> you know, anyway, and they right. laugh. It, it's just absurd, but it, it's definitely, as you said at the beginning, Ronald, it's not scary at all. Like that is yeah. some not scary shit. So what did you think of Dreamworms and, uh, and uh, you know, that this new edition, like, again, once again, this was your first time watching this. Steve and I knew what we were getting into to some extent, but you, you had to watch it unspool. Uh, well, so... Dream child, I, dream, dream child I'd never seen before, but Freddy's Dead I've actually seen mm. a ton of times. Maybe like, no bullshit, like maybe like 10, 15 times. Oh, wow. So more than me. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So Val, my cousin Balance and I, I, he had a tape of it and he'd watch it. He was obsessed with Freddy and we would just fast forward to like the video game scene and all yeah. Power glove. <laughs> it's funny. Feel the like, power. Which funny is you like, forgot your power glove is what he says. So it's totally yeah. like marketing. You know, I don't know. It's yeah. crazy. It's a real bad movie. Like it top to bottom is uncomfortably bad. And the thing is, like they could have once they established that Freddy could have been this like snarky asshole with lines they could have figured out a way to kind of create like these like exploitation sort of films that, that really emphasized his wit and the kills and but for some reason it kind of went down this hole of like let's just make a bunch of special effects and strange things and like faint versions of the deaths that happened in the previous films and like trying to re recreate this feel but some of the feel was like atmosphere and the characters were interesting and that's what made the first one fun like it was like it was campy as shit but the characters were interesting and the deaths were interesting and there was some sense of like we can't get out of this like yeah this this feels this sense of dread was very dread. real yep. yep yeah and that's and exactly i think it. that there's something really cool about like I, th I think they it's like they saw it once and then they abused it. The idea that like you and I could be talking right now and I could look down to my computer. I could have fallen asleep right then. Just not knowing when you when you transition to the sleep world is fucking terrifying. And it feels like once they figured that out, they they abused it. They abused it in a way that feels like. Freddie isn't even sacred to me. And I could see like they sold their souls for this film, man. Like this does not feel like the other films. I have written down in my notes, Ronald, sleep rules, question mark. And then I wrote a sleep in the van, question mark. Like there's so many scenes where I'm wondering, yeah. like, how are they all asleep? And, it, and this movie does hint at how the dream world and the real world could kind of merge. There's this weird moment in the beginning where John Doe, uh, 
a great protagonist, really engaging guy, really great yeah. performance. <laughs> uh, sarcasm, sarcasm. Uh, but like he busts from the dream world into the real world and there's like a yeah. hole in the air and it's silly yeah. and looks kind of cheesy, but it's an interesting idea to picture Freddy kind of in the dream world, like peering out at the real world and getting this like idea of how he can kind of infiltrate it. And I started to think like, oh, this, I don't remember this, but maybe this movie has a kind of like br- blending of the worlds, you know? Yeah. And, and they never make that explicit as to exactly how he's doing it but this does feel like the movie that that the most of that happens and it's almost something deliberate and it almost feels like a concept that they're playing with which is like whereas before they i mean i granted i think by part five you're right ronald we've already left it behind this idea of the plausible moment they used to kind of uh you know indicate it by having a character kind of like like fall asleep and wake up yeah. and you would kind of know. And I don't think you have to know. They can be tricky, but I feel like after a while they stopped being just tricky and started being like, there's no, they're not, they're not being yeah. creative or inventive about how they blend you into the dream world. They just cut yes. to a scene and you don't know what's going on. And it doesn't feel, in this movie in particular, the sort of semi-post-apocalyptic thing and all the weird mythology that we're getting, there's not a scene that feels grounded enough to make the transition feel... Like the set yes. design of the clinic where they are or wherever is just as decayed and weird and overdone as like the the um, the house on Elm Street that they end up in when they go to the kind of dream yeah. world. There's not really much of an indication, uh, you know. It's not it's not always as obvious maybe as it's supposed to be to us. Like what what world we're in, and I think that's both sloppy and a symptom of like what you're saying. Like that, yeah. it's like this these movies are kind of leaving behind what here. made them engaging. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, this is a movie about sleep apnea more than anything else. Because like, no one can just be driving and fall asleep unless you have sleep apnea, or you're just like they don't indicate like, oh man, I've been stu- I've been crunching num I've been crunching for this test, and it's never right. that. It's just like they're 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 there. Freddie is scary, and then they just fall asleep in weird places. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, the map says we're fucked. The, that, the map says we're fucked. See, I didn't I remember how that, that guy died later, but when that moment in the van was is happening... That, is that the, Carlos? The Carlos moment. Yes, but I was like, yeah. oh shit, I don't remember a guy getting killed by a map. But I was glad he, he didn't get killed by a map. It was just a nightmare. But what a what a task to give an actor to be like, well, this is all practical. Yeah. It's going to be you in a van and a bunch of paper and you a have big to fucking act, map. You have to act yeah. really freaked out about it. <laughs> kind of trying to find your way through a map. However, you can't find your way out of the map. However, then the map says you're <laughs> fucked on it, right? Yeah. It yeah. is. I have to admit that's a genuinely good joke to then say the map says we're fucked. Uh, I'm yes. sorry. That's like that's like the only genuinely good joke in the whole movie. <laughs> because he said it, he said it in a way that's like, so where are we going? Yeah. Well, the map, the map yeah. says we're fucked. <laughs> right. Like, it's 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 not, it, it was just very matter of fact. Right. About, like they, like they wouldn't have known that he was sort of admitting like no, the map literally said we're, we're fucked. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah. I don't know. I, I just thought that was actually kind of clever. And I think it Mike was, DeLuca, uh, I I saw traces of even with this stupid mythology stuff. There's traces of somebody trying to do something different and something clever. It's just the the what you see on screen doesn't match up to any of the ideas really. And also I think that like that lack of scares. I mean, it's a real problem going into like the second straight movie that just isn't scary. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah. Like plain old doesn't have any of those connections. Part four was already getting a little beyond it. But yeah, there, there's just nothing. There's not a, a... We can pick a moment where we think the filmmaking is inventive or the death that was memorable, maybe from this movie. I don't know if I can even do that. But um, definitely not like a moment where, like you said, Ronald, if I was a kid and I saw this, it would not have been the... It would not have been the reason why I would have had nightmares about Freddy, and it wouldn't have been the reason why I would have thought he was cool either. It would have just been... Like, in fact, I remember seeing this movie. I was in college... It was 91, so it must have come out on video. I think I saw it on VHS first. Um, and I just remember, like, having it on and just, like, having friends around. And, like, no one was that into it. And I felt like, eh, I'm not going to pay that much attention to it. You know, and and this had been yeah. a series that had meant a lot to me before that. So I remember feeling like, yeah, Freddy is, de it, Freddy is dead. <laughs> when I saw this yeah. movie the first time, it really felt like they good and killed him. Um, but it's a weird it's a weird thing to think about too. Cause like I, I can remember seeing this too. And like, I was w pretty young still. And it really did feel like one that, I, I mean, honestly, like even thinking about it now, like I didn't come out of it any more scared of Freddie, if anything, in, in all seriousness, it was like, it really felt more like gimmicky to me. Like the movie itself felt gimmicky because of the 3d. Cause I remember seeing it in 3d and like even in the movie, like the note of like when to put your glasses on, you know, she is so obviously doing it as a cue to put them on. And you know, yeah, she puts on the three D like glasses like, in the movie. I had forgotten that until she did that, and I right, was like, "Oh yeah, right. that's right." You know, and it's just like you know that was something maybe you know sort of not ahead of its time, but I mean like definitely something different um, yeah. at that time. Uh, and also just like, you know, we joked about it earlier a little bit, but like even like walking out of it, remembering like the things that you remember is that and like the power glove, you know, like just this weird like marketing, like, you know, the, the these like weird angles that were a part of a Freddy Krueger movie. Um, yeah. Then and now even just kind of feel weird and just don't really I mean, not only does the movie itself just not work in general, but like the afterthought of that. And thinking about that post, you know, in this series that we're watching, it just feels really disconnected even from the horror, like the whole mythology of Freddy Krueger. Like, you know, the whole, you know, um, going into the future. And, you know, there's some interesting ideas, like you had said, John, a little bit earlier. Like, it's it's kind of is kind of a odd thing of the thing about how this town could kind of be exists on its own and you know all these kids are dead but him um or even be sent away or hidden like that when we when, something when, yeah. when, when they go to springwood and they go to the springwood town fair that feels like a dream sequence and it turns out it it's not it turns it's out not, it's actually right. real but there's like old people that see teenagers and run away and that's where roseanne right. Barr and tom arnold pop up so this was made during the the five minutes where they were like you know together and yeah. uh, and a, like you know culturally like you put them you'd want their cameo in your movie but they play a couple that's like sent their child away or something because she's like I want my children back and he says you know when you bring kids home it they, they bring him or they they something that's like the effect of like. If you have kids, they're going to summon Freddy or they're going to attract Freddy. So it makes it seem like yeah. Springwood is this bizarre world. Yeah, I, I, again, we're still dealing with the fact this movie was intended to be set 10 years in the future. So it's intended to be somewhat dystopian. And that's just such a bizarre 
statement uh, to make, uh, you know, on top of the fact that you're trying to do all this other stuff. And I think it's another thing that works against the scares is that um, you don't, like I said, you don't ever feel particularly grounded in a, in a scenario that's familiar to you. And you take away the connection to things. And even though we get back Freddie's backstory, it's this whole new thing about him killing his wife and his daughter seeing it. And he shames her into keeping the secret. And right. like his wife, he d- killed her because she discovered, I guess, evidence of his child murders in the basement. And all that stuff is really creepy, but like it doesn't really connect. It adds this weird thing of like, oh, so Freddie was mad because his daughter got taken away and because people killed him for being a murderer. You know, it's murderer, such a weird right, thing to right. add to it. It's like, hey, by the way, on top of being a murderer that you guys killed and that I want to get revenge on you for that, I just want everybody to know I'm also still mad about my daughter being taken away by the state. It's just like an added it, yeah. it, it's like a weird yeah. it's a weird human note or sympathy note to try to give Freddie or make him more interested. I don't know. I don't I, I can't I can't even fathom what motivated that. Did you make any sense out of like that part of the story, Ronald, outside of the fact that they were trying to give us, I think they wanted to give us, you talk about gimmicky, Steve, they wanted to give us Robert England on screen being, yeah. being Freddy Krueger, you know, before yeah. all this happened. And it, like, this was the way they worked That's out true. to do it. Yeah. But what did you think well, of that I origin? I, I could have worked, but it just, everything was done so poorly, man. Like, like you were saying, like, there has to be some difference between the real world and the dream world and in five and six like it really was no difference like everybody's kind of talking in this hyper like strange way and i don't know man i don't know what i made of it besides this movie's getting worse and worse and worse so what about what about like what about standouts like uh kills or if there is any like anything that stands out from this one Power glove, man. Yeah, power glove I mean, for sure. I mean that 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 that's the test that that's the measure of the movie is that like, you know the that scene is so long, like long. <laughs> so, I was gonna say like it also makes an attempt at being like kind of self self aware, like Johnny Depp popping up in the in the TV ad as Glenn, yeah. you know, from Nightmare get, One, and then he gets hit with a frying pan. Right, like this is your brain. Like that's like talking to the the, the you know the, the marketing of the time, and you know that character, Brecken Meyer's character, is kind of like obviously a child of that time, and maybe somebody those ads are talking to. It seems, but um, you know everything that's layered in that is like it's it's not good, but it's what you remember probably the most from the movie. So yeah, yeah. I mean it's like it's got to be that one probably I guess, and like just the visual of like a a video game, like an 18 bit or whatever, like Freddy Krueger stomping on a live, a live action Breck and Meyer, like yeah. in that scene, like it's yeah. just so fucking funny. <laughs> I know it's so bizarre. And, Fre- and Freddy's like sitting there playing the game too and saying yeah. like, Oh wow. What do you know? I beat my high score and all this kind of shit. So it's just, it's just silly, but right, that's like, exactly. that's like the goofiest he gets maybe. Um, yeah. Is that moment. Uh, um, I do think that like, um, <clears throat> the way they set up that scene and like, yeah, it's similar to the other scenes we were talking about that it, anytime they legitimately have like a, a fate for somebody that feels like it's connected to something. I mean, it feels kind of Willy Wonka or something to say like, you know, we're right. going to see this guy get kind of tortured by this game, but it is a long scene. And it, you know, the, him in the real world getting like stomped and folded in half and all that kind of shit and bouncing around. And he's got this kind of unsettlingly dull expression on his face as he goes yeah. through it. That just makes it, it does make it kind of, 
you know, creepy and sad, but it still isn't as effective in the emotional gut punch level as like the, um, what's the marionette guy in, uh, in part three? Um, what's his name? Um, I don't know. I want to say Philip, but I don't think that's it. No, Philip, you're right. That's it. It is? Philip, yep. Um, at any rate, like that is a scene that's elaborate, but you feel it. And this is a scene that's elaborate and it kind of is like you said, Steve, it's memorable and it's goofy, but it's not, it is it's sort of, it's like anything that's right and wrong with this movie, I guess would be, would be found in that scene because I can't, I don't think there's, I mean, I can't even think of another death that has like the, the stuff that John Doe goes through is like interesting from a nightmare perspective of like falling and then being in a house that's falling and all that stuff. But I don't think it feels like it really connects because that guy's not really a, a character because throughout the whole movie, he's just saying, who am I and what's going on? And we don't know what's going on. So we don't, we can't really appreciate that character's fate or his plight, I should say, because we don't know what's going on. Um, and then there's that character, Tracy, that, I mean, that actress, I did look, Leslie Dean, She's she's been in a few things, so, I mean, God love her. I'm sure she's a fine yeah. person. But there's nothing convincing about that performance. I mean, that was, and, you know, again, she's supposed to be like the tough girl, but they didn't give her quite enough of like a, like a big scene. I guess she got to fight Freddy a little bit, but it wasn't like it built up to some big cathartic moment, you know, where she was kicking ass. Um, Freddie was... dies of a pipe bomb. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that they moment. Stuff we're in his chest. That's where like, we're at. That moment. Do you? There's a scene where he says, um, "It's like one of his final moments." Uh, let me see if I have it here. But like, there's a moment where he. There's a shot of Freddie where he just looks so goofy, um, and he's like smiling up at the camera. I mean, he's not quite at the camera, but it's like him. He just looks like an, a, an old man. Um, I can't remember what scene was happening, um, but I do have a I have a screenshot of it. I think I'll share with you guys because it is it is hilariously bad. Also thinking back, I kind of like that sequence you you just mentioned when John's like falling. I think it's that sequence where like you see like Freddie up in the parachute. Mm-hmm. I felt like I remember feeling like that scene was kind of like kind of bothered me a little, or was a little kind of creepy. Yeah, or no, at least some, a, like an interesting shot, like you know, having him up in that, up in that, uh, just the idea of like what he can do to, you know, this thing that's saving you from falling is he's kind of in control of it with his knife, knife fingers. I mean, there's definitely something about that moment that is that feels kind of nightmarish because of the night sky and that just how kind of out of control yeah. uh, the you know the character feels. And it did feel again, like I said, there's something uh, primal about you know dream. Uh, falling imagery. Um, uh, th th another line did occur to me that I thought was funny. Do you remember when they go to the, like in, in the clinic uh, or whatever that place is that like in the basement, there's this arsenal of weapons and Yafet Koda oh, yeah. says something like the cops were supposed to come pick this stuff up. Does that mean that's the stuff that's been confiscated from the kids yeah. they brought in? That's yeah. insane. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. <laughs> but it implies a Walking Dead crossover because one of the weapons there is Lucille. It's like a baseball bat with nails. Uh, so <laughs> I was thinking that Conjuring could be like a, a Freddy crossover. They figure out that the nun is Freddy's mom, and go. that becomes a Freddy Conjuring crossover. And maybe they'll do it better than Freddy in the past couple iterations. <laughs> Well, it's kind of hard to imagine somebody not doing something better, 
But I feel like we've seen how the attempts to, I mean, you'll find out next time, uh, Ronald, when we, when we get to the remake, um, well, maybe you've already seen it, but like, no, no, I haven't seen it. Oh, you yeah, haven't. In context, it's it's a like the next three are all an attempt to do something different or reboot the series. Oh, I've just found this uh, screenshot. I think I'm going to send it to you guys because it is just, it's the strangest. Uh, honestly, it's the strangest image of Freddy I've ever seen, and so I had to uh, had to get a screenshot of it. All right, I'm, I think I can send it this way. <clears throat> Yeah, it's uploading now. All right, I just sent it in the chat. So I don't know if you guys can get a look at it, but it's at the scene where he's, I forget what he's saying, but it's like he's talking about knowing where to find uh, his daughter, I guess. He knows where she's going. He's like, I know where you're going. Or maybe he's talking to John Doe or something. But it's just like, it's a moment where he looks like a, a creepy old man. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird face. Are you talking about, like, are, you, are you looking at it? Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's weird. a strange picture. And the only picture I think that might be stranger, I guess I'll go ahead and send this too, just since it's fun with screen. So, is this in a, the messenger chat or in uh, Zoom? Oh, in the Zoom chat. In Zoom. Oh, let me see it. And I just sent a second one too. The second one is the is the other strangest shot of Freddy, but the first one I sent is like he just looks like such a kindly old man with like a nice little beatific <laughs> smile on his face. Yeah. But the last one I sent is like the silliest image maybe in the whole movie. When his head comes off and it kind of is a face and a face and a face. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, it's not coming. It's not coming through. I don't see it. It's really, oh, okay. wow. I got a, I got I got a blank chat. Oh, maybe no, it doesn't matter. I mean. I'll send it to you the other way, and then we'll we'll just move see on. The messages recording is on. That's weird. <clears throat> but at any rate, yeah, this movie yeah. is just kind of out of control. It's no surprise, maybe, that they intended like it feels like they were trying to end it. But you know, when you look at the gaps between the movies, I, I kind of noticed this. I think it's kind of interesting that um, the biggest gap. Okay, the first movie uh, came out in 84, second in 85. Uh, then you have a two-year gap between 85 and 87, but not really because it's November 85 and February 27th of 87. So it's you know just a little over a year. And then you've got August of 88 for part four. And then you've got August of 89, like less than a year later, you got part five. Then yeah. um, almost two years later, you get uh, Final Nightmare. Then it's a three-year gap between that and Wes Craven's new nightmare. I just feel like time is so relative because that felt like a bigger gap in my life before they they rebooted that. Oh, that definitely. Then you got 94 to 2003, which is a, a nine-year gap, which is the longest gap in the series. Because then uh, Freddy versus Jason and the remake, there's only a seven-year gap. But I mean, obviously, after this is when it's really... it. it this essentially is still the end of the, the kind of proper Nightmare on Elm Street uh, franchise right, right. as as we knew it, even though Freddy versus Jason is kind of considered considered canonical, but that's that, that's kind of crazy that there hasn't been a successful anything to do with it, you know. I mean, until yeah. very recently, Wes Craven was still alive. I mean, right now Robert England is still alive. A lot of the you know actors who might return, or I don't know. I I'm not saying I I know what they would do with it or could do it with it or should do with it, but I I do think this. You know, this movie may have become so convoluted that it effectively killed <laughs> the the franchise, but that seems like a strange thing to say. I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Steve? I mean, I know you must have a similar feeling since you watched these movies and were kind of a horror fan all along. I mean, these things get remade. They get sequels all the time. There's always the chance someone could do something good, but um, 
you know, do you think there's a really good way forward uh, for Nightmare on Elm Street? <clears throat> I mean, they're going to definitely find a way. I mean, and we talk about it all the time on the podcast, like just the idea of IP and who has what, who owns what, you know, between this and the Friday the 13th series, you know, you, you especially because you look around and even this week they just announced that like, you know, Universal and Blumhouse sold this massive like three picture deal for Exorcist movies and, you know, David Gordon Green and what he's done with Blumhouse to reboot Halloween and uh, Scream coming out in, in January. You know, it's just like these, these are like uh, I mean, to me personally, like these are like Mount Rushmore properties in this area of the horror genre. So, you know, the idea that, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street 2010, I think it was or whenever that one was. Um, you know, that it's been 11 plus years, you know, it's kind of wild that there's not something happening with Nightmare on Elm Street. And I'm sure it will soon enough, you know, whether I know Friday the 13th, I think a lot of it's like rights problems and who owns what, and, but I don't know. I'm not sure the deal with Nightmare, but I know at some point I want to say like, is, it, is his name Nick Acosta, Nico Acosta, the guy that did the, um, the, the, uh, sci-fi series um candle cove mm. you know what i'm talking about well uh it's town zero um yeah i mean like that's I know, that's I encouraging like, uh, that person would be i feel uh, like at one point i i heard him on a podcast that he had like a pitch for a, it might have been nightmare and friday the 13th but i mean like i think at one point he was developing something for it it's just it's it, there's got to be something that they can do to keep it going. I mean, it's too profitable or too well known of a horror franchise to, um, you know, to not do something with it. And I also think like Elijah Woods's production company, they've been trying to get the rights to do something with it. I've got um, a little I've got a little update from the Wikipedia here. It says in, in 2019, Bloody Disgusting reported that the film rights were reverted to Wes Craven's estate. And then uh in November of that year, so that's you know going on two years ago, uh, the estate had begun work on resurrecting Freddy as they were actively talking, uh, actively taking pitches for a new Nightmare on Elm Street film. They were also reportedly looking for uh, pitches and concepts for a possible HBO Max series. So series, there's yeah. a couple of ways this property could come back. But yeah, I mean, obviously the fact that's two years and no no real news about about something yeah. moving forward. So it's crazy. But that person, I would, I mean, you know, uh, the. Channel Zero. That's that would be a good. Yeah, I mean, if that yeah. was the team that was taking this on, uh, I would I would be interested because some of those series already have uh, you know when I think about it, very dreamlike scenarios where the fear actually is maintained and the mystery is maintained like from episode to episode. Some of those, yeah, like I think yeah. the second season in particular got really like heady and dreamlike and um, I don't know. Some you know, yeah, someone can, and yeah, and like. Elijah Wood, like I know recently or in the last year or two, they've been talking. I don't know if they're one of the ones doing these pitches that you just read about, but SpectreVision, I know they're trying to do something with Nightmare on Elm Street, whether that happens or not. But I mean, I haven't loved all their movies, but I do think that they're like genuine genre, you know, their love for the genre is there. So maybe they could have, they, they have like a cool angle uh, for something for Nightmare. But yeah, I mean, it's got to happen. I can't wait till it happens. And, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, especially because the remake in, in 2010 was not yeah. very good. So um, hopefully hopefully soon, man, because I love Freddy. So I'd love to see more Freddy. So what do you think the key is then, guys? Uh, would it be like 
the dreams because I could see both direct. I guess we can maybe have this conversation after we've seen the other movies. But like that question of Freddie, the character, Robert England is obviously getting a little older. Who can't play him forever? Um, you know, they they tried to pass the torch and didn't quite click with folks. But like that seems like a big part of these movies that people might want to see if they if it was coming back. So I don't know, like, where do you go with it? Do you emphasize the Freddy part or do you emphasize the sort of dream killer nightmare imagery and go full on into that? Because it feels like those are two different things that could be good about a new approach to this. But it feels like nailing right. Freddy is such a tricky thing, uh, both in terms of using the existing guy that we already know or finding somebody new. I, I can't even decide what I think they should do because it doesn't seem like if you're trying to revitalize this thing, Robert England can't play him forever, even if he can play him again. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Ronald? Do you think you need him? Yeah, you need him. I mean, I think that there's some charm to him, the the kind of one-liners and stuff like that. I think that can exist in the same breath as a good concept with the dreams. Like, I just, I think there's a marriage in that somewhere, but it doesn't seem like they've, found it once they figured out that they wanted him to be like a you know a, a one-liner guy like they lost kind of the bones of what made the movie special so i think if they capture both of those things a little bit you know yeah i think it, i think it could work so do you think they should start with uh uh, uh, bone worms floating around saying you know what we need to do let's bring freddie back yes absolutely um, <laughs> Uh, you know, they, they, they in this movie, he erases people. Is that a new thing? That, that That's not something that's ever happened before, where he's like, when he kills people, people start forgetting about them. That was a new wrinkle that felt like yeah. it didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. But yeah, this is another one where you definitely get some soul-absorbing shots. You know, that you, if you come to these movies to get to see Freddy absorb souls, he does do that in uh, Freddy's Dead. Very animated-looking kind of souls getting sucked into his body in this one. Um, but yeah, not scary. And at the end of it, as uh, the uh, lead character says, practically to camera, but not really, she says, Freddy's dead, and then it goes to black. Um, were you convinced, guys, when we got to the end? Like, when you first saw this movie, I don't know what I would have <laughs> believed at that time, but I don't remember if I would have thought they have to do another one. I might have still thought, like in 91, I might have thought, oh, maybe they are trying to wrap it up. But it does right. feel like they're trying to leave you with that impression that this is like, you know... This is really it because they even do like a greatest hits reel over the credits. There's like shots of all the all the kills from all the movies. Yeah. So did they, did they did they make you think that he was gone? Like Ronald, you said you saw this movie like 15 times. Did this feel like this is the definitive end of Freddy, or did it feel like just another? Uh... It felt like just another something. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Ronald yeah. is so done, so done talking about these two movies right now. Yeah, I'm, it's exhausting, man. Like those those films like put me through something. I think some of it was just like, I cannot believe that they put this money into this shit. Like, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand at this point why people love Freddy as much as they do with, with like, it's almost like um, you feel about Freddy the way that New Yorkers feel about the Knicks. Like you, this is all just emotion. All your, all your love for Freddy, Steve and, 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 and John is just solely nostalgic and emotional because three on could you could argue are horrific <laughs> and they start to get worse and worse and worse. And so I, I think sometimes I, I try to understand where it comes from because Freddie versus Jason for me was like fun, but like 
in general, more misses than hits. So oh, totally, totally. Where does the love come from? Is it just because it had the tremendous impact that it did at first? Because I, I don't get it. Yeah. I'm, well, I think it's, yeah, I think it's probably timing, like, you know, definitely the nostalgia of it. And like when you, when you watched it, like, you know, the impact it had on you, um, yeah. especially its place in the genre. Yeah. Um, and I mean, while I think you're probably right, there's probably, I would probably say there's more hits than misses for me. But the ones that hit, I think they hit pretty hard hit, for me. Yeah, I get you know, like like Nightmare and 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 Dream Warrior, like are some of my favorite horror movies. Period. Yeah, you know, it's, so they're like they really good. they're they're really solid. They're they're that's like solid footing for me. But yeah. yes, like you get into four, five, <laughs> six, it's 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 running down. Yeah, but 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 we'll get into the next three. Like John said, there's something different happening, a little more interesting. Like you, you already mentioned Freddy vs. Jason. Which I kind of love Freddy versus Jason. Me honestly. too, man. I um, legitimately loved it, man. And that's like another one, like in the theaters, seeing in the theater was a fucking experience. Like it was awesome. And, you know, with a crowd, that's one of those, like we always talk about that experience uh, in the theater on this podcast, like the standouts. Like I just remember seeing that finally come to fruition and watching that, like, you know, the, the 11 p.m. show on the Thursday that it, the movie came out, like, it was the crowd you want to watch it with, you know? And it's like, people were super into that. So that that's got a place for me where I really enjoy that one. And we'll talk more about that on the next one. But I do think it's like a weird, like, you know, like some highs and then it goes down, but it kind of comes back up in interesting, different ways that maybe are not reclaiming any kind of, of it, of its peaks, but keeping it, keeping it in the conversation, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I would say, yeah, it's one in three. And the fact that the iconic nature of the character and like the fun you can have with all the stupid, I mean, the fact that making, you know, I mean, honestly, the the only reason why you wouldn't describe a movie like Freddy's dead as kind of like a fun movie to sit there and kind of, uh, you know, watch to almost hate watch is that it is so relentlessly unpleasant. Like within five minutes of starting there's been like a a reference to date rape that's really flippant and there's like a sexual abuse survivor who's one of the main characters and we find out about that so there's something kind of relentlessly ugly about these movies and as it goes on and it becomes a little bit less effective that stuff really does feel very kind of of its time and just doesn't like doesn't feel like kind of to your point ronald like there's really not much reason to revisit these movies i think any of these horror series that we take on from part one to part whatever though I think you're going to run into that thing of like, maybe there's an original idea, maybe there's a sequel, and then it's just around as a brand to try to get money out of it. So like, you'll find that with, uh, I mean, seriously, I bet any horror movie series that goes beyond like three or four has got like slim pickings after that point of like what is actually vital or interesting or new about it. But um, I think more so than, yeah, so it's like the first movie and the third movie, and then it's just the overall specter of just Freddy in that if you're going to depict these these killers or you're going to depict these characters, you kind of, you know, he's one of the ones you, you picture. But I guess it would be like, I don't know how many Universal werewolf movies there were or Universal Dracula movies or what. Like, I don't know how many, I'm sure there were, you know, it's like they just are going to churn them out. And at some point it is, it is, you're not pointing to every one and saying it's a classic at all. And if we continue with our plan to watch the Halloween movies as we go into the fall, 
um, for this show, you're going to find the same thing happening there, Ronald, is that like, you know, there's the moment of brilliance and then there's a lot of trying to recapture that uh, and it's movie after movie. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I bet you'd be more hard pressed to find a horror series that has more than a couple sequels where you can really say they're all yeah. good movies, <laughs> if not great. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's where we're at, guys. That's where we're at. We, but we did it. We made it through, honestly, and, the and leanest times for this Silver franchise. lining, yeah. yeah. You, you've survived the bottom, Ronald. The, the, the bottom. The, the... I, yeah, I'm, I'm tapped out, man. I'm tapped out. So I'm looking forward to this. this I'm welcoming the change because I, yeah. I, yeah. I just finished Freddy's Dead before we filmed. And I was like, no, no, I don't. Yeah, this is going to be fun. We it's all felt just, the same way, though. That movie was the longest ninety-minute movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Honestly, yeah, like I felt so like because I was kind of doing it in shifts throughout the day, and I was just like, I cannot believe this movie is still going. And you know, when they only kill two or three people, and and it takes so long, like you said, Ronald, to set up the mythology. Like, there's like, what's the movie there? Like, what are the <laughs> characters you're following? What's the story that you care about? There's really not anything like the in in Freddy's Dead, especially. Um, but uh, in part five, too, like Alice is just not, even though it's the same actress and everything, and Dan, too, they're just not vibrant enough characters to carry you through um, these, yeah, diminishing return movies. Nope. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, we did it. We did, we did it. Uh, we got one more left in this series. We'll, we'll cut, catch up, I guess, in a couple weeks, maybe, or I don't know, whenever it happens. Uh, we'll, we'll round it out with uh, seven, eight, nine. It's crazy that there's nine movies in this series. So yeah. They, they got to come out with one more to make it ten, I guess, right? Um, but yeah, so we'll catch up again and, and finish out the Freddy series, the Redemption series here to, to wrap up this Watch Em Alls episode um, and episodes for Nightmare on Elm Street. But um, MovieSchmovie.com is the podcast feed. You can find us on YouTube as well. YouTube.com slash MovieSchmovie um to watch the video element of the show we also have a special series that we do there called marvel schmarvel where we kind of get together um when the disney plus series are airing um or there's marvel movies coming out in theaters um to talk about everything that there is that comes from marvel we talked about it basically too much on the podcast so that we kind of did our own thing on youtube to kind of make it a little more its own thing uh so you can subscribe there for that feed as well get it all in one spot Again, moviesreview.com is the main landing page. You can pretty much jump off from there to any podcast platform that you could possibly find us on, or you can just listen there right through your web browser if that's more convenient. Um, but wherever you find it, if you are subscribed, please leave a rating or review if you can and share it with someone um, to get the word out there about the podcast. We'd really appreciate it. Yep. Um, we'll be back next week with a new episode. I think we might be talking some industry stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things happening, you know, in this return to movie theaters, sort of, um, and what's happening with COVID now in the world, possible pullbacks once again. I don't know. We'll see. But just talking about the impact so far on, on movies and what it's looking like in theaters and the streaming platforms that they're available on. Um, so maybe we'll get into that next week. That should be an interesting conversation. Um, but otherwise, I'm good. Uh, if you guys are, you guys have anything else you want to mention? I'm good. Cool, 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 cool. cool. <laughs> Ronald's about right, to fall man. over. It's been a yeah, long Ron, day, man. Ron, you, you made it, man. You made it. We're done. We're done. All right. As always, guys, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye. Bye.